0: The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, FA Cup. Big day for Chelsea, who win v Luton and lose alleged friend of Putin, while Borough cancels spurs trophy hopes. Premier League, Leeds become the men from Marsh and Manchester Derby, will Peps ranks spank fellow Manx? Plus, Matt v Jules in the Inter Totally, and much, much more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And hello, listener. Thursday, March the 3rd, it's been a lot this week, and here to make sense of it all, Tom Williams, Adrian Clark, and Charlie Eccleshare. Hello. Hello, hello James. James. Hello. Oh, nice. All right. As you just heard, so much for us to discuss uh, today, not least those midweek cup games, which uh, you were quietly thrilled by, uh, Adrian and Tom, possibly you as well, Charlie, but you weren't, you weren't online when we were having that chat.
1: I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought I thought that Luton gave it a real go against Chelsea. Okay, they ran out of energy, I think, in the second half and it lacked a bit of quality. But yeah, the Middlesbrough game for me was the the standout. Um, mm. It was it was a Championship side raising their game, playing like a Premier League outfit, and you know what they did to Tottenham Hotspur at the Riverside Stadium was was just remarkably impressive, given how easily Spurs spanked Leeds in the previous mm. game. I was commentating on that game. Spurs were you know, slicing through Leeds at will up against a, a tactically savvy borough. It was very different.
0: It was the worst display of the Conte era, according to one Charles Eccleshare.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this game or more the uh, infamous Europa Conference League defeat, the mitigation for Mura would be that they played an hour of it pretty much with 10 men. Whereas this, as, as Adrian says, this wasn't um, an upset that, you know, was a backs to the wall kind of, we're just going to ride our luck and pinch what we can on the break. They, they were much the better side. I mean, Spurs probably shaded the first half, but after that, uh, Middlesbrough were, were well on top, I thought. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I mean, it it, it was, I think it was just that element of it that really struck me. And that was said straight after the game, that it was the, you know, being so outplayed by a team in the league below, not just, not just beaten by them. And that Josh Coburn
3: goal felt like a proper old school FA Cup moment. (laughs) This like gangly 19-year-old Serbu comes on.
0: Here's Crooks.
3: And
4: there is Coburn.
3: And one of the truest strikes I think I've ever seen. I almost ripped the net off and then the, the look on his face as he ran over to the, to the fans. And, you know, as we know, the FA Cup is, is a, a much maligned competition. But I feel like the last couple of seasons, at least, have, have thrown up some really decent storylines and, and some really decent upsets. And some really decent goals as well. The, the uh, Phil Foden to Jack Grealish
0: one in the mm. Peaceborough Man City game. Also the Rom- Romain Peru. Effort. Rocket, really, Mm. in Southampton's win over West Ham. The the results, anyway, midweek, fifth round, two games still to play Thursday night. It'll be uh, Everton against Boreham Wood. And then next Monday, uh, Nottingham Forest against Huddersfield. But so far, Chelsea have beaten Luton 3-2, coming back from 2-1 down at half-time. Liverpool beat Norwich 2-1. That's the fourth time they've beaten them this season. Stay down, Canaries. Saints Uh, 3-1 winners against West Ham. Borough put out Spurs, having previously put out Man United. of course. Crystal Palace booked a place in the quarterfinals with a 2-1 win over Stoke. And Man City beat Peterborough 2-0. Right. Now, as mentioned at the top, Wednesday was a busy one for Chelsea. A 3-2 victory at Kenilworth Road with Timo Werner and uh, Romelu Lukaku turning around that uh, 2-1 half-time deficit. Chelsea reaching the quarterfinals for the third season in a row. Off the field, meanwhile, owner Roman Abramovich announcing his decision to sell the club after almost 19 years at the helm. Sale of the club will not be fast-tracked, says the announcement, but will follow due process. I will not be asking for any loans to be repaid. There's talk as well of any profits from the sale going to help Ukraine. Uh, to talk about that and more, the athletics Adam Crafton now joins us.
5: Adam, thank you so much for joining us. First of all, why? We don't know um, officially, in that you know he's not given a clear reason, um, other than that he wants to. He says he wants to, do, you know, act in the best interests of Chelsea Football Club. Um, we also know that he doesn't take questions. We know that Chelsea's directors don't take questions. Um, We know the only person who is taking questions is Thomas Tuchel, um, who clearly doesn't have any answers to to what's happening at the moment. Um, In a broader sense, we we know there was a Russian invasion of Ukraine that started last Thursday. And very quickly, MPs were standing up in in the British Parliament and naming Roman Abramovich as one of the individuals, one of the very successful, wealthy Russian individuals who should be sanctioned. Um, due to uh, purported links that he may have to the Kremlin. And, you know, these are links that have been always denied by Chelsea, always denied by spokespeople of Abramovich. Um, But these calls have got louder and louder. Um, On Monday, um, Boris Johnson took a question from a Ukrainian journalist um, at a press conference who was almost in tears, naming Roman Abramovich, asking why he hadn't been sanctioned. Um, then you have Prime Minister's Questions where the Labour leader Keir Starmer stands up and asks why uh, Abramovich has not yet been sanctioned. And, and, and what we know about Abramovich is that he is he's almost this symbol of London grad. So regardless of whatever his, uh, and by London grad, I mean, I suppose, Russian money in the UK, you know, he's the most famous person that, you know, famous Russian that we would associate with the UK because of his ownership of Chelsea Football Club. Um, and then you know there's two big statements over the weekend Saturday night Abramovich drops a statement tries to transfer the stewardship of the club to the to the charity that runs the foundation by Sunday afternoon it had become very clear that the six trustees you know one of which was the women's team manager Emma Hayes the other was an anti-discrimination campaigner power. they were looking at it and just saying don't think so. Not for me. Essentially, um, you know, to be to be doing this at this moment, we're going to need a lot more information. They'd only found out about it about an hour or so before the actual statement dropped on the Chelsea website. We then had a statement on Sunday morning on the Chelsea website talking about a conflict in Ukraine, not referring to a Russian invasion, not referring to any to Russia at all. I don't think um, in that statement. So that's been the, the the momentum since then has been towards Abramovich may receive sanctions from either the British government, European government or US government. Those sanctions still haven't come in at the point we talk um, and they may not come in. But there was a political momentum aligned with this continued barbarity in Ukraine that was making it really sort of completely unsustainable for Abramovich to... To to not act and I think that's why on um, Wednesday night the statement dropped on Chelsea's website to say that that he's ready to sell the club and that there will be a sales process. Um, I mean you mentioned that there'll be a foundation set up for victims of the war in Ukraine. He's still not made clear who will run that foundation. Um, Why a foundation needs to be set up when there's lots of charities established international charities that could just take the money as it is where we would know for sure how that's being spent where that's going he's not made clear whether that will be going to russian victims of ukraine or ukrainian victims of 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 what's going on there at the moment so there's a lot of things we don't have answers to there's a lot of things that would be very helpful um if he took some questions um but that's where we are
0: okay There'll be a lot of Chelsea fans who are saying, well, why aren't you discussing what a great owner he's been? But that's not really what uh, today's discussion is about. And, and I think there are bigger issues behind Abramovich, whatever his success with the club, uh, given the situation in Ukraine and the suffering of the people uh, there. Can I ask, uh, do you know, Adam, What's the? is there any equivalent situation for Alistair Osmanov at Everton, who has now been sanctioned by mm. the EU? Is there a suggestion that there might be a similar step away from, from Everton?
5: Well, I mean... Aleksey Usmanov is not a shareholder of Everton. So he doesn't have anything to step away from. Okay. Offic- officially what what is the case is that the owner of Everton Farhad Mashiri is the chair of Usmanov's fund. Um, <laughs> but Usmanov himself is not a shareholder of Everton. What we do know however is that Usmanov linked companies USM Um, Megafon, Yotta are prominent Everton sponsors. I'd estimate probably between 15 to 20 million pound a year that Everton make via training ground sponsorship, kit deals for the women's team, things like that. And then also Usmanov has the first right of refusal, which he's paid 30 million pound for, um, to have the naming rights for Everton's new stadium. So, At minimum level, Everton stand to lose quite a lot of money from sponsorship and Everton are one of those teams over the last few years who have spent an absolute fortune trying to compete on the pitch, often pretty poorly. Um, But it leaves them in this very, very difficult situation where they're trying to fulfil financial fair play and profit and sustainability regulations and that sponsorship money is absolutely essential for them to comply. So that's going to be an issue the other issue is, um, you know, whether Farhad Mashiri, as you know, the chair of this
1: fund, chooses to step away from the fund in some way. Yeah, I just wanted to ask Adam um, Abramovich. Sort of in his statement, mentioned that he'd like to one last time to say goodbye to all the fans in person. Mm-hmm. It, it's something I just can't see ever happening. It's going to be a, a sort of quiet exit, and that's that's it. Surely. Well, I mean, there certainly seems to be a willingness from
5: Chelsea fans and John Terry and Jason Cundy um, are all lining up for the leaving party. Um, So I think, you know, I'm sure if it is possible, Chelsea would like to make that happen. Um, There is a challenge in that, you know, Roman Abramovich withdrew his visa application, his investor visa in 2018 amid, you know, diplomatic tensions between Russia and, and, and the UK. He's only been back, A couple of times, as far as I'm aware, he came back on one occasion um, where he was basically part of the Israeli Prime Minister's entourage um, on a Holocaust memorial occasion. Um, I don't think he's been back to Stamford Bridge. (sighs) I think it would be a pretty farcical situation if he is to be sanctioned, if you were then to have him on the pitch at Stamford Bridge getting a standing ovation. Um, But... We've seen. Have we seen more ridiculous things in football? I'm not sure. Have we? I don't know. Have we? It's mm. a good question. <laughs> I mean, we've just had
2: celebrating the Saudi, you know, welcoming really? our brave Saudi overlords yeah, yeah. at St yeah. James's Park. Yeah. Have you been surprised, Adam, with the reaction sort of from? Uh, I don't know. The, it, it, he. It feels like in by lots of people he is being celebrated and venerated as this kind of, you know, he came with a few billion pounds and a dream, and he, look what he achieved. Kind of, you know, there's been almost this like romanticising of, of what Abramovich has done. What?
5: Yeah, I, I think there has been... Look, I think if you are a Chelsea fan and particularly if you've grown up over the last 15 years, this guy has made you really happy. And the other thing is because, because of the nature of of the, the moment we're at where sanctions haven't been imposed yet, we don't actually know what Abramovich has done, if anything. You know, we've not been provided with evidence um, which is legally substantiated in terms of sanctions at the moment. So some Chelsea fans will be looking at it and just thinking, well, you know, you, Russia's gone to war, Putin's gone to war, this is just a successful Russian businessman. And that's what Chelsea would like their mm. fans to be thinking. And that is a message that they have, for a very long time, infiltrated into their fan base. It's a message that, that has been, I think, accepted by everybody. Since
0: Abramovich arrived, he was the super wealthy guy who transformed a club and pretty much the Premier League as well. And everyone was happy for whatever reason to run with that as a story. You would get some mentions, but peripherally, of other things that his money was financing or other links that he would have. But I can understand... While I don't take this view, but I can understand why Chelsea fans and Chelsea players who have some personal contact with him would go, hang on, for the last 15 years or 19 years, sorry, he's been this figure. And now you want us to suddenly pitch 180 because you're all doing that because it's now OK to say other stuff. I do get why they, that they might feel that's hypocritical.
5: Like all these things, life is complicated. There are positive aspects to it. He's done a load of campaigning against anti-Semitism, which has been which has been, you know, really impressive at times. He has put a load of money into local projects in Chelsea, in, in in the area, in the same way that, you know, Manchester City would say their owners have and that the Newcastle owners will say they have. And, you know, there is an argument he has improved people's lives in some way. Um, at the same time, we see the footage from Ukraine, we see the images from Ukraine, and... We see that Roman Abramovich, you know, you have MPs calling for sanctions. And it's a very, 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 very difficult thing, I think, for people who just go along on a Saturday to watch their team as an escape to, to get their head round. And, and the final thing is, on Monday, his spokesperson was saying that he'd actually been invited by Ukraine, by some Ukrainian mm. officials, wasn't very clear who, um it was a ukrainian actor that vouched for it to help broker peace talks in belarus between ukraine and russia and this was after years of us being told that abramovich is a person you know without any political connections without any political links and all of a sudden he was being contacted by ukrainian actors to to act as a, a as a mediator um so it was it, i can completely understand why chelsea supporters or anyone would look at this and just be like what the f- what is going on? And, and it's really difficult to get your head around.
0: Adam, whatever happens with the sale and Chelsea, the bigger issue is, is what's happening to the people in Ukraine at the moment. And you did a remarkable piece this week, speaking with various people from the football community there, uh, whose experiences reflect the horrors being faced by so many millions from every walk of life.
5: Yeah, and... Um... I think that's yeah you what know, once once you actually have those conversations the idea of just sort of returning you know in your head to this to worrying about what's going to happen to this really rich dude um and his billions and whether he's going to lose 2 billion or instead of 13 billion um becomes quite difficult and however talented you are however famous you are however privileged you might have been in Ukraine a week ago is now absolutely irrelevant. You know, you have Shakhtar Donetsk footballers, players who were playing against Real Madrid and Inter Milan five months ago, 70 caps for Ukraine, Tara Stepanenko who I was speaking to, his wife and kids were in a basement that they'd converted into a bomb shelter for, for two days. And they then drove through the night, couldn't use any main roads were having to go all around the villages. He was saying, you know, I, I didn't even know these roads. I was just guessing as he was trying to drive Southwest out of Kiev um to an area more towards the 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 western borders um which are a little bit safer at the moment with a family friend and you know you're, you're doing these interviews with you hear their kids in the background in in these basements um you hear you know basically bombardments going off in the distance and and it's just horrific it's exactly you know what we are watching on the news is what is happening it's the truth and um and and yeah it's um yeah, there's been. I mean, there's been some amazing stuff that's been done as well. You know, particularly by the Ukrainian Football Federation, they had a lot of international footballers—Brazilians, uh, Spaniards, Italians—that that were trapped when when the bomb started because the Ukrainian the Ukrainian league season hadn't been suspended before the before the invasion started. There was a lot of people who thought that it should have been because there was a lot of intelligence to say that this invasion was coming, but it hadn't been. And you know, you could say to the credit, I suppose, of the international players a lot of them had decided to stay until the end with their ukrainian counterparts saying you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna stick this out until we really have to but it left you know there were 70 strong group of Shakhtar and dynamo kiev players in the opera hotel in kiev on thursday morning friday night with babies running out of food running out of nappies um, and eventually between uefa and a federation they got them um they got them out towards the romanian border um you know other players had it far more difficult three Brazilians from zoya luhansk one of them's 18 years old has gone to ukraine not earning that much money to try and get a break in europe and finds himself walking 50 kilometers through a war, basically through a war scene to try and get towards the border i mean it's abs- and he was with a teammate who's who was carrying his kid on his back. I mean, it's it's absolutely mm-hmm. horrific, and I, don't know, I struggle really to um, to to say much more than that. Other than yeah, mm.
0: well, those those are the ones who got out. There are other yep. others from all walks of life, of course, who are still there. And I thought. Very much uh, with them. Adam, thank you so much. Uh, The the piece is is, is really worth reading. It's up on uh, The Athletic at the moment. And, um, yeah, we'll we'll speak to you again soon, I hope. Thank you. So, the FA Cup. Uh, We we talked a little bit about Spurs. Uh, Adrian, tell us about the extraordinary Chris Wilder's borough.
1: Oh, They were awesome, weren't they? They, they played with so much confidence, uh, comfort on the ball, and that is down to coaching. He has he given the players belief that they can, can play in this quite sophisticated way, and he's done it in a matter of weeks, really. He's, he's not been there too long, Chris Wilder, and, and just the fluency of their passing, their movement, the confidence of the players was, was great to see. I thought that the right-back Isaiah Jones, who's been superb all season, really, he he would walk into the Tottenham side, wouldn't he? I mean, he would. And so would Jed Spence. They have two it, right backs who would walk into the uh, absolutely, the Tottenham team. absolutely. And and they they could have had more goals. Obviously, a couple of you know, Giltes chances from Crooks and and Hausen from corners. It was it was brilliant from them, but you have to say, <sighs> weak minded from Tottenham.
2: Yeah, it was one of those just on Wilder as well. I was at the game and you do get a feeling of something building sometimes, you know, at, at, at these kind of matches. And it does feel like they're all so behind that team. The momentum was really building throughout throughout that game. And you, you feel in a, in a sort of wider sense as well. But yeah, I mean, like Housen summed it up, really. I mean, he his attitude and, you know, we, we in the age of data analytics, whatever, we try not to talk about these intangibles too much. But it did feel like he his attitude really set the tone. And I'm, I think the Spurs midfield were a bit knackered. The other two were injured. So they had to play Winks and Hoybier again. And those they just, they didn't look like they had the legs for it. But also, um, they must, I, it felt like they're, Hearts must have sank quite early on when they were like, Halson is not going to give us a moment's rest tonight. He's just on us every single time. And he got away with a pretty meaty tackle early on that he didn't get a booking for. And I think that just gave him even greater licence to say, go on, go and be in an absolute pain. And he played really well, nearly scored as well. Um, but yeah, very
1: impressed with him and, and the team's attitude overall. Charlie, as someone that follows Spurs closely, do you do you think that Tottenham now and in the last few decades... Do you think that that part of this issue where they can't seem to get you know, climb that mountain and win the trophy, do you think it's that they just they accept finishing second best is is okay? It feels to me as if like the the truly elite teams, the ones that are gobbling up all the trophies, they they just have this fear of losing, of finishing Mm. second best, and I just don't get that impression with the culture at Tottenham Hotspur it's almost an acceptance that, that, that they'll, they'll come close but I mean have we early. got enough time on this podcast to try and
3: explain
2: <laughs> what's wrong with Tottenham Hotspur <laughs> that, I suspect that, it's that, perhaps not that is a big question but that that tension what you're describing Adrian as well is what uh, Conte has walked into and I think is he's desperately trying to change that he's actually spoken about that very issue and saying that you know he the atmosphere he wants to create and that he's created at his former clubs is where a loss is the mood should be horrific for the days after you know you should be absolutely raging about it um and you know he said he hasn't got that impression and it was really funny after after one of the defeats i think it was Burnley maybe all the, the Spurs you know put up the training picks or whatever and, and there was not a single one of them smiling it was all you know looking serious and really sad and moody and training and you do wonder if it was this was an attempt to kind of show Conte that yeah we're we're on board with this messaging that this is unacceptable Um but yeah I mean I, I was going to say it feels like every time I come on this it's uh, on this podcast it's off the back of a Spurs defeat but then I was thinking I come on basically every other week and they lose literally every other game so it's it's actually not really that surprising
0: it's 13 fixtures in all competitions in which they've almost perfectly alternated between wins and losses wins and losses there was one little stretch in the middle where they did two defeats in a row just to kind of spice life up as Adrian mentions it is another season without silverware 2008 league cup is the last trophy they won if Duncan were here he'd mentioned that this summer their last title will be closer to the 1800s than it is to today Whoa. which is a remarkable statistic however silver lining time in terms of their top four challenge this could be a boost because now it's only mm. training ground with conte preparing for each game and the next one being everton on monday night
2: well yeah this is this is conte what he's sort of staked his reputation on is that you know these weeks on the training pitch with him are so valuable, and the mind obviously goes back to that sixteen seventeen season with Chelsea, where they weren't in Europe, and and they were able to have these four weeks, and it worked out really well. There's always been the sense with him that that's you know they, they've never he's never been particularly good in European competition, and the feeling's been that he's you know been ve- very good uh, w- with kind of the three weeks, but juggling a lot of competitions has never been that easy. So yeah, m- maybe it will be a benefit, but. You know, the side issue, and someone raised this, and I'd be interested to get your guys' thoughts, is, you know, Kane will go another season without winning a trophy. And is there anyone in modern football, in the era of stratification where the same teams tend to win the trophies, anyone in modern football that's close to Kane for having not won, you know, for someone of his ability not winning a trophy? I mean, it is ex- obviously it was asked probably in a slightly trolley way, but it is quite an interesting thought. I mean, it is crazy that he hasn't won anything as he approaches twenty nine. I mean, the only player who comes to mind is Alan Shearer. But then he, of
3: course, won but he the did Premier win the League title. very yeah. early in his career. So, he, you know, you, you couldn't hit him with a never-won-a-trophy a stick. Um, and I think you feel like the, the longer Kane stays at Spurs and the more goals he scores and, and, and the, the further he climbs the various all-time records tables, you know, does, does he end up reaching a tipping point um, where just committing to being a Tottenham legend and and breaking every record at the club and overhauling Shearer's Premier League goal scoring record becomes uh, as valid an objective as as winning silverware. It it obviously isn't at the moment because we know, you know, he he wanted to leave the club last summer. But I just wonder, given the difficulties he's had extracting himself from the club and, and, you know, being tied to the contract that he's tied to, will we get to a point, if he's still there in the next two or three years, which is, is perhaps not all that likely, you know, given the way things are going, will he at some point embrace that kind of, you know, one club man, hero status? But... Yeah, I, I suspect if you, were, if you were to present him with a choice today, uh, he, he'd probably go for something a bit more exciting.
0: Just checking, is top four still a trophy or, or, or not? It,
2: not? It would feel like one. It would right. feel like one. I think v- Wenger was ahead of the curve with that. I mean, he was. You know, he, he, as with so many things, he was mocked. But I mean, the only, the only comparable player to Kane, a lot of people have put forward, is Son Hyung min <laughs> which yeah. uh, you know someone who's uh, which you know you can say doesn't that some spurs up
1: but uh, yeah it's now or never he he won't he won't get that big move beyond this summer it it has to be this summer then i think he has to reconcile himself harry kane that he just will be a, a tottenham legend um, and, and and smash all the all the records
3: the one thing i would say about kane is that i don't think he is going to age as quickly as some players age mm. uh, and particularly as some strikers age because he's never been quick mm. there is a kind of teddy sharing element to his game which means that the cane we see five years from now shouldn't look too different to, to the cane we see today so you know it, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that he, he spends another couple of years at Spurs, maybe sees out his contract and still gets a big move because uh, potential suitors won't look at him and think oh well we should have got him when he was 22 mm. 23 when he was leaving centre-backs for dead because that never happened
0: five years from now when we'll probably still be having this conversation about Kane and Spurs but Charlie finish us off for now with one last point
2: well I was just gonna it's funny Tom brings up sharing him because I was going to bring him up as an example he moved to United when he was 31 and won everything Kane will be 31 uh, or just turning 31 when his uh, contract expires so it is possible he can have both of these things he can more or less achieve everything you know he can potentially break the you know Tottenham goal-scoring record in the next couple of years and then move to one of the trophy-hoovering-up clubs say, mm. as he turns 31 and then have a coda to his career where he does get the honours he, he wants because it's, oh. going to be, it's going to be another summer where it's not
1: easy to get the move he wants. Yeah. Very quickly, on commentary, because I did commentary of the Leeds-Spurs game where Kane was just irresistible. And, in, and during the course of that commentary, I sort of said, I threw it out there. Has there been a better playmaking centre-forward than Harry Kane? I mean, he's, got, he's like Shearer and Scheringer, yep. rolled into one, isn't he? He's a remarkable player. He certainly is, Adrian. He certainly is. Now, in
0: other non-Harry Kane-related news, who else saw what? The Foden-Grealish
3: goal was ridiculous, no? Oh, yeah. I mean, that first touch from Grealish, proper Tw- Birmingham yeah. Baggio stuff. And I also feel like it was it was one of the first real moments that he's given us in a city shirt. He's got a really nice goal in the Champions League group phase, didn't he? Against Leipzig, I think, where he picked it up on the left and and drove in and, and scored. But you know, particularly given uh, the, the huge transfer fee and all the expectation that there was around Grealish in the summer, uh, we haven't had that many moments like that. But yeah, certainly seeing him score goals like that um, will will do him will do him good, and you know, just sort of. Shows that he is, you know, he is
1: being effective, even if he isn't quite hitting the heights that, that people might have expected of him. And that was a gorgeous goal. It doesn't, yeah. I don't think you get any better touches than that.
0: Rieb Maris also scoring in that game that's his 19th of the season, which makes this his highest scoring campaign in, in England. Crystal Palace with a 2 1 victory against Stoke. Intriguingly, Patrick Vieira is now unbeaten in his last 18 games in the FA Cup as a player and manager. How about Saints though? That three-one win over West Ham. Mentioned the Peru Rocket, also a Briers goal, pretty good. The the third, and Saints continue to look like a team with quite a bit of momentum behind them.
3: Yeah, and despite the fact that Ralph Hasenhüttl made nine changes to mm. the starting eleven, which is which is pretty remarkable, and, and West Ham were pretty much full strength um, and. As it happened, Hasenhudel brought on a, a few of his typical starters towards the end. So for example, you know, Bro, you came off the bench and, and scored that lovely goal. But yeah, I think it shows how healthy the dynamic is at Southampton that they can they can shuffle the pack to that extent and still produce performances like that. I mean that Roman so, Perho goal was awesome an absolute it. beauty. Squares it across the West Ham half to Perro. This time he's gonna hit it! Oh my goodness me! Like Stuart Armstrong
6: in the fourth round. He has smashed a beauty from outside the box, on the
1: angle, past Ariola.
3: He's not starting at the moment because they've moved Kyle Walker-Peters over to the left to accommodate um, Tina Livramento on the right-hand side. But yeah, Saints
1: really flying. Bro is a player, James. He really is. He, yeah, this season, I think strikers have struggled in general. I think the, the attacking midfielders or wide forwards have been the, the stars of the show. As a centre-forward, I think he's got incredible... Potential, I really do. I did, I did some analysis on him recently. And one of the stats that really caught my eye, because he's been dipping in and out of the team, he's not had that much game time, Breuer. No one had scored up until, I think last weekend, no one had scored more right-footed goals per 90 minutes than Breuer in the Premier League this season, which I wow. thought was a, was a real sign of, of how deadly he has potential to be.
0: Intriguing. Well, the uh, Southampton put West Ham out, they've still got the Europa League to play for. They drew Severe, uh, serial winners of this tournament, as you may have seen in the uh, Europa League last sixteen. That'll be coming up next week. Before that, West Ham have Liverpool, who had another win over Norwich, slightly more measured one this time, just two one. Both of goals coming from Tagami Minamino's got insane stats actually. Seven goals in eight, I think the commentator was saying on Wednesday night. Anyway as Jürgen Klopp takes Liverpool to the FA Cup quarterfinals for the first time. Everton-Borham-Wood is tonight with the draw for the quarterfinals just before kick-off there. And then Monday, it's Nottingham Forest against Huddersfield. Next up, we'll be moving on to the Premier League weekend.
5: So, Mr
7: Raniak, what's troubling you? Well, we've got a, a leak in the dressing room, Doctor. Right, and you want to find out who it is? No, no, I just can't find a good plumber. Sometimes there's only so much you can do. But with Paddy Power, our offers are watertight. So
0: this weekend, get money back as a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus four bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power!
3: Pre-match online bet builder bets only. Min odds 1 to 5 per leg. Max free bet £10 per day. 7-day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match odds. Eligibility restrictions and T's and C's apply. 18plus. Be gamble aware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn
4: more.
6: This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers
0: around. Intertotally is on the way. Stand by for a fat slice of Matt Davis-Adams against Julian Laurent. Very exciting uh, confrontation there. Totally Football League show is out with you on a Thursday talking about all sorts of things, including Steve Bruce's start at West Brom, which hasn't been great. One point from five games, one goal in five games. And their chances of finishing top six not looking great. Also, just to flag up, our Totally Football Show Live, which will be in Manchester at the Lowry Theatre on the 19th of April. If you wish to be there, head to thelowry.com and buy a ticket. Premier League this weekend. Woof. Saturday's early kick-off sees Leicester host Leeds. Jesse Marsh's first game in charge of the Yorkshire club, Leicester, who were 2-0 winners over Burnley on Tuesday, with Jamie Vardy back on the score sheet, crikey. Three o'clock on Saturday, Burnley hosts Chelsea, Villa face Saints, Newcastle get a visit from Brighton, Wolves take on Crystal Palace, and there's a huge six-pointer thing between uh, Norwich, who are defending their bottom three status against plummeting relegation wannabes Brentford, tea time, Liverpool West Ham, two games on Sunday, Watford Arsenal, and yes, Manchester City against Manchester United, before on Monday the round concludes with Spurs-Everton. All games, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, will feature a show of solidarity with Ukraine, say the Premier League. All right, we're going to begin with the lunchtime kick-off. Leicester Leeds. Tweet of the week, I would suggest, comes from Colin Miller, who says, Beware the ideas of Marsh. <laughs> Jesse Marsh's first game in charge of Leeds, a club who conceded a record 20 goals in February, taking just one point from five matches. What will the arrival of the American bring? Well, let's hear from someone who saw him work his magic at Red Bull Salzburg, Lee Wingate from the other Bundesliga podcast. Lee, first of all, how excited are you at seeing how Jesse Marsh gets on in the Premier League at Leeds?
8: Very much so. I mean, his time in Salzburg was hugely successful. He was a very popular guy here. He won the double, which is pretty much the bare minimum in Austria when you're at Salzburg. That's what's expected on the domestic scene. Perhaps he's he slightly underachieved in Europe. And then he's had a bit of a tough time at Leipzig recently. But he's a big believer in himself. He's a staunch believer in his own philosophy. And I think he'll back himself to get leads out of trouble.
0: Mm, all right. Uh, other factors may be in play, though, as regards Leeds and trouble and all that kind of thing. It didn't work out well this season with, with Bielsa. To what extent do you think the problems that he had at Leipzig may reoccur at Leeds?
8: Well, I think one of the main problems he had at Leipzig was he came in after someone who was hugely successful, Julian Nagelsmann. And that is, of course, the case here with Bielsa. Uh, Nagelsmann had introduced this real possession-based style of football. He'd come away sort of from the traditional Red Bull high press. And Jesse came in and I think really tried to implement that um, pressing style of football that he favours. And I think that, you know, the players struggled a little bit with that. Some interviews with uh, Peter Galashi the goalkeeper I read. He said, you know, we were trying to do what the coach wanted, but instinctively we'd been drilled to play another way. Mm. So he's going to have to go in and really try and get his message across. And I actually see a bit of a parallel in that situation that he had at Leipzig and what he might face at Leeds, because I know Bielsa was a big believer in man marking and Jesse prefers to play zonal so he's going to have to make sure that he goes in and really gets that message across much more quickly than he did at Leipzig where of course he he only lasted four months in the end Mm, absolutely tactically
0: he's an attacking coach in terms of the defensive issues that Leeds have had do you see that being helped much by his appointment
8: he is a very attacking coach I mean most English football fans will remember that 4-3 at Anfield where his expletive laden half time team talk sort of stole the show. That is pretty much Jesse and microcosm really. His team's concede a lot of goals and score a lot of goals. That's the that was the same at Salzburg uh, I think uh, last season when Jesse was there at this stage of the season Salzburg had conceded at twice as many goals as they have this season. So I think his defensive vulnerabilities are, are kind of, I'd say, his shortcoming and what I'd be worried about with Leeds. You know, I, I don't follow the Premier League and Leeds all that closely, but I do know that they've been shipping a lot of goals recently and mm. to bring in then an, an ultra attacking coach, which I think Jesse is, that may be a, a bit of a risk.
0: Right, but the halftime team talk should be more lively.
8: Uh, yeah, they should be. And as well, um, I think Jesse will benefit from the fact that he's actually going to be speaking his mother tongue. This will be the first time he's done that in quite some time because he came to uh, Austria and then Germany and really tried to, to speak German every occasion. Something that, that really endeared him to the fans here. Uh, at least one thing he's got going for him now is that he's going to be speaking English on a regular basis.
0: Thoughts, you optimistic, uh, another Bradley, or is everyone doing him a disservice just because he's an American?
3: I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that succeeding Marcelo Bielsa is one of the, if not the most difficult jobs in football um, because his approach to uh, the game is, is so unique. Uh, and to unpick uh, those three and a half years of very unique Bielsa coaching, you know, the man marking and all the rest of it is going to be very, very difficult. Um, Plus, you've got the fact that that Bielsa, although, you know, he left with, with Leeds, in a relegation dogfight, is a complete hero and remains worshipped by by lead supporters. Um, So you've got the kind of the difficulties on the playing side. You've got the kind of difficulties of of succeeding someone who is held in such high esteem. And the fact he's an American as well. Um, And as, as, you know, poor old Bob Bradley can testify, Americans talking about football is not something that, for some baffling reason, the football fans of the United Kingdom seem ready to accept. And and Jesse March is someone who who likes to talk about football, who has who has very clear ideas about the game, and, and, and is a great communicator. Um, and, and that will be a real contrast to Bielsa because you know we never, I feel like we never really heard from Bielsa because he was always speaking through a, an interpreter, and he was mm. always gazing at his shoes during his post match interviews. It, it it was like he kind of you know he was here for as long as he. Was but he left without was really knowing him, and and Leeds are now going to find themselves with a manager who is much more sort of audible, you know, in in contrast to bielsa So it's it's a tricky one, and it, I, it will be fascinating to see how he goes about the challenge of trying to kind of un bielsify Leeds. How how much can he expect to even un them between now and the end of the season, or does he have to try and find some
1: kind of halfway house? I I don't think he has to rip it up and start again. Because his own idea was quite similar to Marcelo Bielsa in terms of like playing on the transitions and working hard from the front and whatnot. You know they, his teams have always been really ferocious in their in their work rate. So he will inherit a dressing room that that are on board with that straight away because it's what they're used to. I think it's as simple as ditching this man-to-man marking nonsense. It was it was a utter car how, crash. How easy Tottenham. is that for players? Adrian, oh, Players hate it. Players hate doing man-to-man. In in training sessions, uh, many of the clubs I was with, the coach would sometimes say for 10, 15, 20 minutes, right, you two, man-to-man, you two, man-to-man. And it would be seen as a punishment <laughs> because you were basically, it was man o man And it was like, this guy's going to run me everywhere I don't want to go and I'm going to try to do the same to him. And that was... You know, it was horrendous, really unenjoyable. Um, so I think that, that the players will be OK with, with, with ditching that. Not least because they were getting it so wrong. I mean, they, Spurs, I mean, Son just took the right back into the middle of the pitch just to leave the space for Cessna. You know, it, it was just so basic. And if the Spurs player was quicker than the Leeds winger that was being asked to track back they had no chance and and Spurs could have scored eight eight or nine goals in that game i i think they had to they had to make that change it was just it was just broken mm. you know you know there was talk w-
2: with Bielsa from some courts of you know just get him out get a safe pair of hands in to steer them to relegation as if as if you were talking about a group of underachieving star players I mean we're talking about largely championship level players or at least they were before Bielsa came in so I'll be very interested to see what happens when he's not there whether those improvements they made have been sustainable as individuals or whether it was about having this system having this chemistry that worked perfectly Um, Hmm. it's intriguing as well from Leeds point of view that having made that
0: decision to make the change they didn't go with what you might term a safe pair of hands they've they've gone with what essentially Hmm. is another bold experiment a, a manager who hasn't got Premier League experience and is coming from a particularly unsuccessful stint at a, at a big club in, in Germany. Tom?
3: Yeah, and just on Leicester, I think that win at Burnley in, in midweek was, was a very significant one um, in that it was most notably their first league win of the year, um, which is, is both uh, an indication of how poor their form has been and how many games they've had uh, called off, and, you know, a Burnley team who had been on what looked like a, a, a bit of a, a mini revival. And, you know, we've seen how how uh, how a few opposing teams have, have struggled at, at turf more in recent weeks, not to uh, just be gratuitously bashing Tottenham at every opportunity. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I think Jamie Vardy being back is, is, is big for them. They've got other players coming back from injury James Madison is in a great run of form. They've got lots of games in hand to, to get through. So um, yeah, it feels like Leicester, for the first time in a little while, have, have got a little
1: bit of a bit of useful me- momentum behind them. Yeah, Harvey Barnes was magnificent the other night against uh, mm-hmm. against Burnley as well. And, uh, Nick Pope kept the score down, so it was a really impressive actually. And do you know what? Even though their results have been very average, Leicester of late, I think they've they've been quite unlucky. The West mm. Ham game. They, they should have won that. The Spurs game. Wolves game. game yeah, the Wolves game. They were better than Wolves. I, I think they've left a few points sort of mm. out there on the pitch, really. So I see quite a lot of positives. This is a really hard start for Jesse Marsh uh, and Leeds United. The, they are in trouble because mm. they can't defend. And if you, if you struggle to defend and you're always leaking goals, then then you're not going to win very, very many games.
0: Aren't mm. Very true indeed. Uh, Leeds two points from the bottom three. Burnley and 18th have a game in hand on them. Burnley this weekend have a visit from Chelsea to Turf Moor. Their recent record, Clara, it's not been bad. They only lost... Well, that Leicester loss was only their second in their last eight games. And, of course, against Chelsea, they drew 1-1 at Stamford Bridge in November.
2: Mmm. Bit of a smash and grab, that, but yeah. It was a massive smash and grab, wasn't it? Yeah, from, from
0: that collection. Other, other sides down the bottom, Watford host Arsenal... They've won three games in a row and they'll have had 10 days off by the time they go to Vicarage Road. Uh, Everton, who are one point off the drop but do have a couple of games in hand, are at Spurs on Monday. The key game this weekend down the bottom is probably Norwich-Brentford. Brentford, who are three points off the bottom three but have played more games than any of the sides in the bottom half. They've only picked up one point from the last 24 available. Haven't won in their last nine away games in the Premier League. Daniel's story on Monday suggesting that were they to lose this game, we could see them make a change. You know? Oh, mm. should also mention did you remember when Norwich couldn't win a game? Who was the first team they finally
1: got a victory against? Oh, oh my word, it was Brentford. <laughs> Daniel Farker's sort of farewell match, mm. wasn't it? Mm. As well, yeah. Oh, the Bees are in trouble. I saw them at Emirates recently, and yeah, they're kind of. They don't look a goal threat. They're facing a lot of shots. In the last two games, they've faced 50 shots. 71 in their last four. Can they complete a century this weekend? Wow, it wouldn't surprise. Wow, probably ban. not against Norwich. <laughs> I just think that in there bank. may be... You, you talk about promoted teams having second season syndromes. I think with Brentford, they're suffering the second half of the season syndrome.
0: which is Like
1: Hull. Exactly. Like Blackpool. Opponents have had a look at them. Apple, yeah. And they're quick, they're powerful, they're really good in the air. They throw balls into the box. They're awkward, but if you can suss that out, mm. what what have they got? And and the answer is they they're kind of not not master of anything really. I was looking at some of the stats. You know, they're not a possession team. They've had I think sixteen build up attacks, which is the second lowest behind Burnley. So you think well, they must be a counter attacking side. So, well no, they've had I think ten shots from. From counter-attacks all season which is sort of among the lowest so yeah they, they're sort of caught betwixt and between I think they, they, in my opinion they need more of the ball just get on the if ball If only they had some stats gurus at
2: the club who could you know really get into <laughs> yeah. those numbers What they
0: might have what they might have is Christian Eriksen exactly. taking a bigger a and bigger role in the game this weekend away at Carrow Road but sorry Tom
2: yeah,
3: and just to say, I mean, obviously you've got Ericsson coming in, who you'd expect will have a positive impact. And also Ivan Toney is now back fit, having missed mm. a few games with a calf injury. And he is so key to the way they play. And, you know, there, there are lots of other decent attacking players at Brentford, but no one is as vital to the way they play as Toney, even if he hasn't scored anything like as many goals as he scored last season in the Championship. So, you know, with Ericsson now available, with Toney back, that, that does give them... Uh, reason for for some optimism. but yeah I think if, if they were to lose this game at Norwich who've you know who've kind of slumped back into into their travails after a, a mini revival, uh, it, it will start to look quite serious.
0: right Call it for us Tom. Brentford to get the, the, the victory that's going to kick start their their recovery
1: for all <laughs> for all <laughs> i was at this game last year when it was a championship sort of top of the table six pointer with no one there apart from the media team and Norwich won it 1-0 but it was um, yeah it was a very tight game brender was brilliant but yeah i i think it's going to be low scoring i don't think it's going to be 4-4. Right. Well, you heard it here first folks <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: a couple of other games we could probably write off as mid table clashes May well prove to be exciting, but in terms of significance at either end of the table, limited. Newcastle, Brighton, and Newcastle delighted, probably now, to be in that category. They've never beaten the Seagulls in the Premier League, intriguingly, in nine meetings, although Brighton have had three defeats in a row. Also, Wolves taking on Crystal Palace. Three of Palace's four wins since the turn of the year have come in the FA Cup, and Aston Villa facing Southampton. All those games at 3 o'clock on Saturday. On Sunday at 4.30, it's a Manchester derby, so we'll talk about that next. Keep listening for Matt Davis-Adams versus Julien Laurent in the Intertotally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. And we apologise for any bad language you may hear.
6: You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash totally. That's ind double slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at indeed.com. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout which is up to 36 percent better compared to other leading commerce platforms plus you can sell more with less effort thanks to shopify magic your ai-powered all-star and what's more shopify's award-winning 24 7 support is there to help your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with shopify Now, because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is excellent news for Everton fans when they make their Lampardian transition from serious to funny to serious once again. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply.
0: Manchester Derby and Liverpool West Ham. Which one are you more excited about, Charlie Eccleshire?
2: Of those two games? Yes. Um The Manchester Derby. Are you? Yeah, I, th- I feel like West Ham are really running out of steam. So I don't know how... Um, well, maybe famous last words, but I'd imagine Liverpool would win that reasonably comfortably. Mm. Certainly if West Ham's performance against Southampton and a lot of their performance in the last few weeks are anything to go by. So the Manchester Derby also having seen City get so exposed against Spurs, that mm. sort of um, feeling of invincibility with them has gone a bit. And United have... What you know? They have done well against City in recent years. You know that they are City are a team who give you half the pitch to play into if if you're good enough to exploit it on the counter. And United have some players who who can do that. Adrian has got a stat for us.
1: Yeah, away teams have won this fixture more than any other in the Premier League's history. It's remarkable. Yeah, Man City, Man United, Mm. twenty-one. Away wins, which is just mad, really. Yeah, three in a row. I think in all competitions for for United at the Etihad, it's it's bonkers, really. I think this could be close. I really, really? do, because yeah, City City. Apart from you think about them at the Etihad this season against the better teams, apart from the sort of five 0 spanking of Arsenal earlier on in the season, they, they, you know, they've been tight games, and and United have, you know, they're, they're clearly not. Going to be intimidated by going there so yeah and no, I think this would be, be interesting I mean anyone that saw the game at Old Trafford would find it unthinkable mm. that Manchester United could get anything other than a 3-0 defeat here but because it was so one-sided but but United are a funny team and they they always seem to score away from home Manchester United even when they're not playing that well they always seem to nick a goal so yeah I think this is going to be a, a real challenging uh, test for City. How one-sided was it at Old Trafford? Well, the scoreline
0: was 2-0, but City set a new Premier League record for passes completed. United's players also had more shots on their own goal than they did on City's goal, which is unusual. Uh, Pep Guardiola didn't even feel the need to make any substitutions. Hmm.
1: C- can I ask you a question, you guys? Just I want, to, I want to put you into the shoes of Pep Guardiola here over team selection, right? The two top scorers at Man City this season are Raheem Sterling and, and Riyad Mahrez. Okay, they've scored a few penalties, but they are the top scorers. Neither man has ever scored against Manchester United. It's 18 matches now for Raheem Sterling. It's 11 for Riyad Mahrez. Would that factor into your team selection if you were Pep Guardiola or not?
2: I I don't I don't think massively. I, I I I feel like those must be more quirks than anything else. I mean, if you had a player who consistently didn't score against any of the better teams, you might... And and I know Sterling Sterling has a bad record against Liverpool, doesn't he? He's never scored against them either. Um, I think that's right. Or certainly he's never done anything at Anfield. Um, uh, No, I I think if if they're the two kind of in-form... In, if you think they're sufficiently informed, I wouldn't be dissuaded by a bad record against an individual club. That feels too too
1: much of a quirk. No, for me. I I agree. I agree. But it but once you are made aware of the stat, then you're like oh. you can't unknow it. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I, I can picture the the precise facial expression that Pep Guardiola would make if this was put to him in a, a pre match or post match interview. I suspect it's a sort of thing that he he probably doesn't pay too much attention to. But it, it is a remarkable quirk, and I, it's one of those things that the longer it goes on, the more it becomes a thing. Um, so I'm sure the players themselves will be aware of it, if if not perhaps the manager. Mm. Should um,
0: West Ham have uh, David Moyes back at home with Covid then when they go to Anfield? Because similarly, he's never won at Anfield as a visiting manager in 17 previous visits. Is that just a quirk as well?
3: I'm not sure. I mean, yeah. If David Moyes had a remarkable record as a visiting (laughs) manager at all the other big clubs, then maybe yes. But as we know all too well, he does not. So this is very much par for the course.
0: West Ham actually beat Liverpool in the reverse fixture back in November. They were the first team actually to defeat Klopside in, in the league. They were 25 games unbeaten, at that point. Kurt Zuma, controversies. Kurt Zuma scoring the winner that day. Charlie didn't feel much optimism for their chances of doing the double. So is it Liverpool potentially moving a bit closer to Man City this weekend, do you think?
1: I think so, yeah. I mean, they're in great nick, a bit of a juggernaut at the moment, aren't they? The, the forward players are in, are in wonderful form. Luis Diaz just, just as a player ever settled into a new country, a new club, any, any better, any faster than Luis Diaz. I mean, it's quite remarkable, really. Um, you know he's, he's getting into so many good positions to shoot. His dribbling's been unbelievable. He's yeah, just everything about him makes you feel as if he's been here for a year. So he's he's in great nick as his Mo Salah. West Ham are a bit flat, aren't they? So you know Antonio's sort of searching for a bit of form. Jared Bowen's dried up a little bit. So no, I, I think this is this is a match Liverpool will, will identify as one that that. That they need to win, obviously, mm. but they won't want to extend themselves too much because they got Inter Milan, haven't they,
0: yeah, around the th- corner. I think they'll be all right. Inter once again goalless. Uh, I think it's. I think that's four games in a row now they've failed to score in. Inter already. Liverpool with a healthy lead from the, the the clash at San Siro. Just wanted to ask uh, Adrian from your playing days: Did a player ever do a no look pass to you? And if so, what was your reaction? What <laughs> would the reaction of? Given what was it? Sort of six of his
1: seven passes the other night were were, were no look <laughs> affairs. I do, yeah, I do. I like a no look pass. It's just yeah, pure cockiness, pure cockiness, isn't you, it? And. Yeah, You've got to choose your moments, though. If you're yeah. doing a no look pass for every pass, I mean, oh no, 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 you can't be doing it every single time. That's just <laughs> that's just taking the piss, yeah. isn't it? Basically, right. So, you, if if I were to do six yeah. no look passes out of seven, mm. I would expect to be put. Into the front row of the supporters the next time I got the ball, I would expect to get absolutely clattered, mm. and I'd, you'd have to take it on the chin, wouldn't you? So, oh, yeah. yeah, it's 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 a bit too cocky. But who, Adrian,
2: kind of if that of that Arsenal mid nineties group, who would have been the most likely <laughs> to have done? I mean, we can imagine it would have been the least likely, but who'd have been most likely? I mean, would Ian yeah. Wright have, had the, Ian, no, would he have no. had the cockiness?
1: It would have been Merson. Brian. Um, yeah, Paul yeah. Merson. Yeah, he 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 had the most flair. We weren't a team full of flair. I mean, Dennis Bergkamp was was a half decent player, but he he was kind of quite straight in his brilliance or clinical in his, craft, in, his in his craft. Yeah. He was very serious yeah. about his skill. Hmm. Um, I think the no look pass is frivolous, and that is a little <laughs> bit Merson. <worse. laughs> well, I should mention
0: that I completely made those numbers up, but it was a it, it was a remarkable frequency with which he. You know, we'll be looking one way and pulling off some magic in totally the other. There you go. So essentially, Adrian's saying Liverpool are going to win and Man City are going to drop points. Tom and Charlie, before we move on to the Intertotally Cup,
3: your view? Yeah, I think Liverpool should win relatively comfortably against West Ham. And yeah, I I can see the the Manchester derby being quite close in the sense that, you know, as we know, United are sort of struggling to find uh, a, a playing identity and actually coming up against a team who will just deprive them of the ball but leave them space to attack might work well. We've seen that from United under a succession of managers now that they are happier when they can just play as a counter-attacking team. And it reminds me a little bit of... The way that england used to go into major tournaments and you'd look at them just stinking out the group phase uh, against countries who you knew they should be beating comfortably because uh, the teams they were playing just sat deep and gave them the ball and they didn't know what to do and then as soon as they they came across someone half decent you know an argentina or a portugal you saw what they could do because there was space to play in and i think there are elements of that with united and i yeah i i can see it being close I'm not sure i necessarily back united to to pick up a win, but then given their you know given their form they've had in recent seasons, it wouldn't be a massive surprise if they did.
0: Hmm. It's a slightly different interpretation of England's recent uh, encounters with big nations at the tournaments. No, no, no.
3: I'm I'm, go- I'm going back to like the good old days when England mm. never stood a chance of winning anything. This is this is not a Gareth Southgate observation. I'm talking about your Euro 2004s, your World Cup 2006. World Cup 2006,
2: very much in that process. Okay, yeah. all right then. Yeah, World Cup 2010. I mean, I could go on. You <laughs> <Euro> know, 2012. <laughs> Charlie, yeah, I think as I think Liverpool will win, and then I think uh, Spurs are probably the prototype to follow here for United with the way they dealt with City at the Etihad. But I, I think City, knowing Guardiola, he will also have learnt from that. And while United will push them, I think City will just about win this game. And just to answer Adrian your earlier question has anyone ever settled so quickly my mind went to Fabrizio Ravinelli who
1: scored a hat-trick Ooh. on his debut yeah. for Borough and scored yeah. six in his first five in the Premier League oh, the That's cheapest. a good call That mm. is a good call Yeah but Very last thing on, on this Jared Bowen if he plays in this game he'll break uh, Steve Potts' record for the most Premier League matches in succession it'll be 78 wow. Premier League matches in a wow. row for Steve Potts wow. yeah. for, for Jared Bowen I mean if you cast your mind back, when, when David Moyes signed Jared Bowen, he was quite disparaging. He, he, he was giving very strong signals that, that he wasn't someone that he would have recruited. It was the club that had recruited him. And it he, he took a while to actually put him into the team. But once he's got into the side, basically he's just stayed there. And he's never got well, into you
3: Well, you can actually date West Ham's current sort of resurgence back to that January transfer yeah. window. Because I yeah, think yeah. Jared Bowen, and was it Thomas Suchet came yeah, in in was, the same yeah. month? And then by the end of the season, they, they were a different team.
2: Mm, indeed. Never thought we'd live to the day when Steve Potts' record went, but <laughs> <laughs> here we are. There <laughs> it is. <laughs>
0: Very good Well, that and other delights possibly in store this weekend. Next up, though, it's into totally time. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Game five, listener. Of this year's Intertotally Cup. It's a tough one uh, this season, but of course there are no easy games in the Intertotally. Uh, so far, surviving a brutal first round, we've had uh, Duncan Alexander, Flo Lloyd-Hughes, Benji Lanyardo, and Dom Fifield. Let's welcome our next two battlers for a place in the quarterfinals
3: definitely going far to your five in your
5: back against the wall and a bunch of needs to go away still going bad
1: on a many saw you last neighbor didn't
5: call date up first
6: he's a professional frenchman who's never short of an opinion and has yet to turn down a single media appearance all the way from paris via Enfield, it's julien laurent
0: wow 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 really milking uh, that audience, and rightly so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Jules, quarter-finalist in 2020, semi-finalist in 2021, third-place medalist in our last edition of the Intertotally, just missing out on the final. Who who beat you in the semi,
4: Jules? Benji, I think he was, somehow. I still don't right. know how that happened. But hey, miracles happened, you know, in this game now and again.
0: Well, I think I'm right in saying, Check's Notes, that if you get through this... You'll be up against Benji again. What, wow. a, what a chance for revenge, revanche.
4: Revanche.
0: Revanche, even. Or, you know, whatever you want to take. All right. <laughs> but first, you've got to get through this round. So let's meet the person you're up against.
6: And his opponent. He's a commentator, a dog walker, a podcast host, and a wrestling fan. He is the Barxton Rattlesnake, Matt Davis Adams.
0: Matt, strong, strong entrance music.
7: Yeah, uh, for the uninitiated, that is Stone Cold Steve Austin, one of the uh, greatest professional wrestlers of all time. That's his, his entrance music. Uh, Aklak Hanif, longtime listener, big into Totally Stan put some pressure on me on twitter to use a wrestler's entrance music so i thought that'll strike fear into the heart of my opponent Wow! <laughs> and um, from the looks of the up zoom up left. it has oh. yeah yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> all over the shop all right matt uh how are you feeling you, you last couple of years you've been eliminated by that michael cox both times
7: yeah, I have. And I'm glad you pointed that out, James, because mm. there's a narrative that's been driven in large part by you, actually, what? about me not being very good at the quiz, which kind of ignores the fact that I put Rory Smith out last year and, and have been knocked out by the two-time champion on both occasions. So, yeah, yeah, let's see how we get on today.
0: All right, you're up against the third-place finisher from last time around. Of course, whoever does get through wins £10 for the charity of their choice, with Paddy Power putting that money on a bet of your choice. Uh, and uh, the winnings, of course, going to the charity. What, what, what charity do you want to go for, Jules?
4: Uh, Dementia UK,
0: please. OK. And what will your wager be?
4: My wager is Monaco to win away at the velodrome in Marseille on Sunday night.
0: Very nice. Uh, Matt, what's your charity?
7: Uh, my charity is Grantham Food Bank, which is my local one and a division of Trussell Trust.
0: OK. And your bet?
7: Uh, my bet is for this Saturday, Jesse Marsh to get off to a winning start Leeds to win at Leicester
0: in the early kickoff. Crikey. Excellent stuff. Very good. Let's see who gets off to a winning start in this game of Intertotally. Julian, you're up first. Question one. Who was the first Italian to manage in the Premier League? <laughs> Listeners have already Gianluca got their hand up. Vialli. Gianluca Vialli is correct. Question two. When Ashley Cole moved from Arsenal to Chelsea, which player went in the opposite direction?
4: La Sanadjara. No. no, 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 no. Sorry, 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 sorry. William Gallas.
0: Well, William Gallas is correct, but uh, too late. Although, although me. La Sanadjara
4: yeah. was part of the deal as well for five million. We're not. Throw yeah, that up to the
0: adjudication <laughs> panel, which is Matt Davis-Adams as our Chelsea expert. What do you think, Matt? No chance. apparently (laughs) apparently not I mean so uh, question three Jules who is the only Mexican player to have a Premier League winner's medal Chicharito is correct aka Javier Hernandez question four Which player finished top scorer at the recent Africa Cup of Nations?
4: Vizan Aboubacar.
0: Is correct. A very solid three out of four so far. Here comes question five. Who is the next name on this list? Ronaldo, Miroslav Klose, Thomas Muller, James Rodriguez and... And
4: Antoine Griezmann.
0: I'm afraid not. It's Harry Kane. They are the last five World Cup Golden Boot winners.
4: Oh, mm. I thought Griezmann was the World Cup.
0: No, Harry, Harry Kane.
4: Yeah, three out of five. What do you, what do you think? Is right. it going to be four enough? four out of five, really, but, you know, I give, I give, I mean, Matt needs a head start, so I give him that <laughs> point. All
0: right. right. <laughs> Bold this words as Matt prepares for his first question, which Matt is question one. Jesse Marsh. Is the third American to manage in the Premier League. Name the other two. Bob Bradley. Oh, I'm struggling with the other one, I've got to
7: gotta to be honest. American manager. Um No, I don't know, I'm afraid.
0: It's David Wagner. David oh come Wagner. on. Uh, yeah. Yes, Matt, he's an American international.
7: Yeah, all right. I mean, for clarity, listener, the original question there was name one of the Americans to previously manage, which I did instantly. So, I mean, I'll leave it up to you. Who's the real winner?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Question two, Matt. When Andy Cole moved from Newcastle to Manchester United, which player went in the opposite direction? Keith Gillespie. Is correct. You need two more to tie, Jules, and force a tiebreaker. Question three. Who is the only Bulgarian player to have a Premier League winner's medal?
7: Dimitar Berbatov.
0: Is correct. Two out of three. This to tie Julian Laurence. Who was named player of the tournament at the recent Africa Cup of Nations?
7: Mm. Uh, I don't know the answer to this, so I will have a guess. And I will say... Khalidu Koulibaly?
0: I'm afraid not, Matt. It was Sadio Mane. (laughs) Mm. Question five, then. This is key. Who is the next name on this list? Oliver Kahn, Zinedine Zidane, Diego Forlan, Lionel Messi and who? Oliver Kahn, Zinedine Zidane, Diego Forlan, Lionel Messi, and. Hmm.
7: Okay. Um. Can you just give me them one more time, please? Oh sure. my
4: God! How many times? Like, <laughs> what is this? Like, uh...
0: Oliver Kahn, mm. Zinedine Zidane, Diego Forlan. Leona Messi, and then who? I think you know what the connection is. You're just trying to remember who the next person is. I don't. Is. I honestly
7: don't oh, know really? what the connection is. That's the problem. Forlan is the one that's really thrown. Yeah, me
0: that's a curved And Jules nodding away happily is not going to help either. No. I just wonder
4: if, I, you know, how long until the day we have for this, you know.
0: Um, is it like Got the, no plans, the, yeah?
7: the player of the tournament <laughs> at the World Cup, I think? So who would it have been? At the last World
0: Cup, Luka Modric. Oh my word! Pulled that one out of the fire.
4: Ah, <laughs> oh, but he had half an hour. Yeah, this with is time far. winding
0: down. <laughs> Jules, you leapt at your answers. I have to feel if you'd taken yeah. a little bit more time, than maybe you would have been. Ah,
4: this is the quiz. You don't have like all the life time to answer.
7: <laughs> Reflections of last year's quiz here, Jules. To be honest, I mean. It, There's there's a a good way to win and a bad way to win.
4: People know. know. Nobody's (laughs) won
0: yet, though, listener, because we're now three versus three. We're on to our tiebreaker question. The first time we've gone to a tiebreaker in this year's tournament, both Jules and Matt will try and text me the answer first to the following question. Leonardo Bonucci became the oldest player to score in a European Championship final when he equalised against England last summer. How old was he in years and days? Nearest answer takes you through.
7: Total guess from me. No idea. There you go.
0: Matt's in. Just waiting for Jules's. Come on, Jules, we haven't got all day. (laughs) the tables have turned. (laughs) Exactly. There you go. All right, listener, the answers are in. Let's have a look. Matt says 38 years, 165 days. Jules says 34 years and six months. The answer, 34 years and 71 days. Jules, you're going to the quarterfinals.
4: Jules, there's a justice in this world. (laughs)
7: I was about to say well done, Jules. That was a really good guess. But you know what? Benji, I hope you're stuffing, mate.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I do love you. I'm I'm sorry. I'm 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 am sorry to've knocked out uh, a good friend and a good contender. Although that's how many times now he loses in the first round?
7: Two out of three to the both 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 times to the eventual champion. So so <laughs> let's see how you get on against Benji and then you know if you ever get drawn against Coxey, then then you know. I'll be interested. I'll be an interested uh, spectator. Let's put it that way. But no, best to look for the rest of the tournament.
0: Yeah, Matt, you're now uh, rooting for Jules to keep your your record of only getting beaten by the champion alive, of course. But a, a valiant effort, and you came so close, so close that that Modric answer. Just four years. Mm. Anyway, we look <laughs> look forward to look forward to speaking to you soon on the pod in a nod nod quiz answering. A roll, but Jules, you'll go through and you'll be facing Benji in the next round. Oh, oh my word. Oh, oh my word.
6: Zout-alors, Julien, you're through to the next round of Le Coupe de Inter totally. And if like Jules you think that Monaco will win away at Marseille this weekend, you'll find it priced at 21 to 10 at paddypower.com and on the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly.
0: That was dramatic. Not as dramatic though, listener. As watching Tom Williams's face while all that was unfolding, answering by the looks of it, Tom is it five out of five on Jules's questions?
3: Yeah, nine out of ten overall. I mean, it just shows Gee, when the when the when the pressure when the pressure not on. I'm like the Asafa Powell of the intertotally quiz in the in your sort of <laughs> you know your. your your Zurich You're and your your o- Ostrava meets, I'm absolutely smashing it. And then when right. you know, when the lights go down at the hundred metres final in the Olympics, I'm nowhere to be found.
0: Adrian, you did pretty well as well.
1: Yeah, better better than I did for real as well. Yeah. It's just yeah, it's so, frustrating. I'm still I'll, st- I'll always have nightmares about Stuart Pierce. That's the question that got away. Really yeah. Yeah, disappointing. Yeah. Of
0: course, all this is still to come for you, uh, Charlie.
1: Wh- when's your big game? Must be soon. It must be um, just going. To but check. I'm trying not to
2: think too much about. I'm just sort of living in the moment, taking each prep day as it comes.
0: Right. You're up against James Horncastle. Right.
2: Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's going to be spicy. I think so.
0: <laughs> a lot of, I mean, a listener, a lot of people have Charlie Eccleshire down as. I mean, he's a quizzer with pedigree. It's a tough yeah. draw that I think for Horncastle. Uh, Charlie potentially a dark horse for this year's intertotally.
2: That's what they're saying, Charlie. Listen, that's rather to say. It's not... All I can do is, is my best, so All right. we'll see.
0: Well, Monday it's going to be Rory Smith against Lindsay Hooper. And then potentially either Thursday, Charlie, it's you against the Horn or the following Monday. Uh, the other first-round tie-up there is, of course, that... Uh, Daniel's story, Michael Cox affair. Anyway, lots to look forward to. We're back on Monday. The small <laughs> matter of We're back on Monday with with that and much more. Uh, so do join us then. For now, many thanks to Lee Wingate and Adam Crafton, and to Tom and uh, Adrian and Charlie and producer Charlie and you listener. Have a great weekend, everyone. Get well soon, Adrian, and we'll speak to you Monday.
6: You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on The Athletic app and discover bonus content by following The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power.
4: The Athletic.